0: Now to a subject that a trigger warning is not really appropriate for, but fair warning, on RN now we're going to discuss the W word, woke. Woke's a concept that, whether used as a badge of honour or a slur, feels in some ways like it defines the times while also being itself hard to define. Philosopher Susan Neiman has braved the ideological minefield by tackling the subject of woke. In Time magazine this June, Susan wrote, Even when they decline to say it publicly for fear of giving aid and comfort to the radical right, most progressives I know are deeply uneasy about the turn taken in Western cultural politics over the last few years. Susan Neiman has explored that turn in her latest book, Left Is Not Woke. Susan's director of the Einstein Forum in Potsdam. Susan Neiman, welcome to Sunday Extra. Glad to be here. So Susan, your title tells us that left is not woke, but what is woke?
1: The interesting thing is I was really much more interested in defining what left is, (laughs) um, which is why it goes that way, left is not woke. I mean, the other equation is true as well. I actually think more people are confused about what left is today than about what woke is, because woke is one of those things like pornography that we pretty much all recognize, um, even without having a clear definition. There are two reasons why it's hard to define. One is it's uh, become not anymore a badge of honor. I don't know a single person anywhere who would actually acknowledge that they were woke it's just a term of abuse at this point. And usually one used by the right in often very crazy uh, combinations, like, you know, the, the woke Marxists uh, is something that both Trump and Ron DeSantis will use. OK, the woke are not Marxists. Um, <laughs> Um, But my argument is that they aren't even left, that it's a fundamentally incoherent concept. Um, And here's why. People who are woke are driven by emotions that are traditional to the left, that is. Um, Wanting to stand on the side of people who've historically been oppressed, wanting to stand up for people who are marginalized, wanting to make good on crimes uh, of the historical past, or if you can't actually repair them, at least to remember them. Okay, So those are all left-wing emotions or liberal left-wing emotions that I absolutely share. The problem with woke is, often without realizing it at all, their empathic emotions are undermined by a lot of really bad philosophical assumptions, which actually come from quite reactionary, if not nihilistic, theories. And that's why the the thing is so hard to define, and I think that's why everybody's so confused about it at this point. So my decision to write this book came really from conversations I was having with friends in a number of different countries where at some point fairly early into a conversation we have a coffee or a glass of wine and somebody would talk about the latest example of woke excess and say I guess I'm not left anymore and I would say, wait a second I'm left you've been left all your life they're the ones who aren't left and then I wanted to figure it out both for myself but also um, to help other people clear up some of the confusion
0: so essentially it's it's a mismatch as you've described it between progressive emotions and reactionary assumptions what are those reactionary assumptions
1: so it's a very old conservative idea that the only people you will deeply connect with and therefore towards whom you have real obligations are people who belong to your tribe whatever the tribe is okay um and um The left traditionally argued for universalism. That is the idea that, of course, we can have deep connections and genuine obligations to people from anywhere at uh, any particular time. This is not to say that we don't feel particular closeness to people whose jokes we get immediately or whose music we know well or, uh, you know, things like that. Of course, we have cultural connections to people from our own culture. But through trying to understand and walk around in a little bit other people's cultures, obviously you can't do this with every culture in the world but I would recommend that people try at least two Um, because if you only try it with one you will always have this binary kind of idea oh well you know the Americans do it like this but the Australians do it like that or the French people do it like that and then you have the sense of you know there, there are two possibilities whereas if you try and work your way a little bit into two cultures that you weren't born into you realize both how interesting the differences are, but also you realize something about our common humanity, okay? So the second position that I was describing is universalist and as common to the left as uh, any assumption was, whereas we see right now in discussions of cultural appropriation and you, you should only read, write, or portray, represent, uh, appreciate people from your own tribe, okay? Where the tribes are defined pretty narrowly into not things that you might choose, but your ethnic and gender backgrounds that are pretty much fixed. So we all have lots of identities. That's why I don't use the word identity politics, because I think it's silly. We all have lots of identities. But the woke focus on the two identities that we have the least agency over, and that's a problem. Second assumption that the woke very often have, again, it's not always stated clearly, the idea that People who make claims to be acting in the interests of justice are usually trying to fool us and uh, simply using nice rhetoric to disguise a power grab. Now, this happens very often. Perhaps the most recent, you know, main historical example we can see. Well, actually, no, there's a more recent Vladimir Putin claiming to denazify Ukraine. But I was also thinking of George W. Bush claiming to bring democracy to the Middle East by invading Iraq. so, So there are plenty of examples where this actually happens. But to conclude, therefore, that there are no genuine, attempts to establish justice, that is all simply a matter of um, power struggles, is an old right-wing claim. Again, it goes back very far. I argue in the book it goes back to the pre-Socratics, but you can also see it in things like the work of the Nazi Carl Schmitt. Um, and that's unfortunately a very woke set of assumptions. And the third is, it's possible for human beings to make Progress by working together now. This is by no means the claim that progress is inevitable. That's a Hegelian claim, all right. That the you know, we just we know that the you know the world is turning for the better. We forget how radical an idea it was to first think that there could be progress in history at all. Earlier views about history were either cyclical or they were ideas of a long, slow decline from a supposed golden age. But the idea that by working together, you could actually make things better, more just, more liberating, um, was a new idea was born in the 18th century. And one thing that theoretically unites all the thinkers who are contributing to the woke? Although they might very well not identify, they wouldn't identify themselves as woke. It's just become a, you know, um, a curse. Um, one thing that they all have in common is a complete rejection of anything that has anything to do with the Enlightenment. There's a line from postcolonial theory that goes, "The Enlightenment was a tool of." White, Eurocentric, patriarchal men who made universal claims in order to colonialize the rest of the, dominate and colonialize the rest of the world. And that claim is very common, at least in a lot of circles that I um, unfortunately collide with. And this is one of the silliest claims in the world because it has zero historical basis. Um, The whole idea of Eurocentrism was invented in the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment were the first people to say, hey, we shouldn't just look at the world from the perspective of the Europeans. Um, We should think about how Persians look at Europe. We should think about how Native Americans look at Europe. We should think about how Tahitians look at Europe. All of those were tropes used by the great Enlightenment thinkers to criticize their own uh, cultures in ways that they could not have gotten away with if they had done in their own voice. Now, there's also some evidence that some of the what looks like fictionalized criticism of European power structures and property and patriarchy, which are put in the mouths of the Chinese or the um, Native Americans were actually um, real historical characters, and that evidence is not a hundred percent clear, but it's certainly possible because there was traffic between the different cultures. But uh, these people, you know, the the Enlightenment. Uh, thinkers who urged Europeans to look beyond their own shores and cultures for wisdom and um, ideas. They weren't just braving Twitter storms. They were, in some cases, braving the possibility of execution. Something that happened to a German philosopher called uh, Christian Wolf uh, in the 17. 17- 40s was threatened with execution if he didn't leave His university position and the entire state of Prussia within 48 hours. What had he done? He had read Confucius and Mencius and he publicly argued that even though they weren't Christians, they were perfectly moral human beings. Okay? So, um, you know, the idea that that uh, the Enlightenment was a Eurocentric d- tool of domination is just completely false. But if we let go of the tools of the Enlightenment, particularly the use of reason, um, and along with that is the idea that reason is violence. You have a bunch of postcolonial theorists saying that. Um, reason is violence. All we have is a celebration of subjectivity. And that then goes back to the tribalism. Well, you know, I get to speak because I'm a representative of this culture, not because I have particularly good arguments. Um, it's actually a very solipsistic view because you cannot, um, you know, if I say, my truth as the expression has become, very silly expression, my truth. You can say my perspective, but you know, truth is something that should be truth for everybody. Um, but how we're expected to persuade people through the use of arguments and thought and reflection and all the things that reason can give us If um, we get rid of reason, as an alleged tool of violence, um, how we're expected to communicate with each other at all, I don't know.
0: On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Susan Neiman, author of Left Is Not Woke. And Susan, you mentioned that people who are woke don't identify as such. But interestingly, in your book, you don't identify particular people, or contemporary thinkers who are woke, although you do identify what you see as the intellectual origins of woke. Why is that? Why don't you name names?
1: That's so funny because the book is right now a bestseller in Germany, but that has been a criticism. And I, I felt, first of all, naming names something that's done at an academic level okay that is where people are talking intensely about the differences between i don't know Judith Butler and Gayatri Spivak or um you know Walter Mignolo and Ibram X Kendi you know and um you can do that and of course there are differences between all of the thinkers who who, Are drawn on in these discussions. But that's an academic discussion, and that's one I didn't really want to have. I wanted to write a short book that could be read by the general reader without getting into the weeds of uh, academic discussions. What people don't know unless they've tried it, it's much easier to write an academic book (laughs) than to something that can be read both by people who know something about the subject and by people who don't. Um, this book went through I don't know how many drafts to get it to the point where I felt reasonably satisfied with it. Um, so what I really wanted to talk about were the large ideas behind woke. I mean, for example, I talk a lot about Michel Foucault, who is the most cited author in post-colonial studies, and is certainly behind Many of the more contemporary, I mean, Foucault died uh, 40 years ago or, yeah, more than 40 years ago, but he's, as the most read author, he's certainly behind a lot of the thinkers. And because he was um, in many ways, you know, a deep thinker, I think a very, very problematic one, but a deep thinker, I thought it was more important to focus on him and people like Carl Schmidt. Uh, from a different direction than on their contemporary pygamy, uh, pyganes, um about whom we don't know if people are going to be reading them in 40 years or not.
0: Susan, you've spoken about a sort of sense of disaffection amongst a certain group of people who've always considered themselves progressive and left to other people who might align around issues in a similar way but from a very different perspective. And that made me wonder, like, if in the great causes of the day, someone aligns with a universalist human rights perspective, say, and then someone else aligns with the same position, but from a more woke standpoint, does that matter that much in the end?
1: Oh, look, at this point in history, I would like to contribute, to calling for as big a tent as possible um the woke are not my enemy um my enemy and they're also an enemy of the woke um are the proto fascists who are arising all over the world um you know whether you look at russia or india or israel or donald trump it's a euphemism to talk about you know populism or or Authoritarianism. We're talking about real fascist tactics. And in many cases, uh people are like there's a cabinet minister in the current Israeli government who doesn't even mind being called a fascist. He's, you know, he allows it. So and the interesting thing about all these people, we can think about Maloney in Italy or you know, Orban in, in uh Hungary. We dodged a bullet when Brazil got rid of Bolsonaro, but uh it was a close one. The interesting thing is, all these people meet. All these people are quite connected. They learn from each other. Um, They, you know, both tactically and strategically. And what's particularly sad and frightening is that the left, once again, is caught up in linguistic battles that um, are just absolutely secondary and quite provincial. So really, my hope in this book, and I, I'm not sure because I'm the reception is just beginning and the discussion is just beginning, but at least I've succeeded in some places in, in starting a discussion. My hope was to say, guys, I know your intentions are good, okay? Uh, first of all, to say to people who are working, I know your intentions are good and I share your intentions, what you don't realize is that you're carrying around a lot of philosophical assumptions that undermine your good intentions. Let a philosopher show you a few of them um, and turn back, say, to the resources of something like the enlightenment, which you've deprived yourselves of. So that was my message to um, people that one could call woke. My message to other people, my friends is, I get why you're confused. I get why you say, I don't have a political home anymore. Um, you know, if people are arguing, a, you know, really arguing about pronouns and losing their jobs for saying certain things, which I know lots of cases of. of. Um, I understand why you feel alienated. This is how to explain it. And let's put it all on the table, I have often been told by people that they have had very similar thoughts, but they hadn't expressed them out loud, either because they were afraid of hurting somebody's feelings, or in some cases, because they were afraid of getting in trouble. Um, One review of my book in the States said it's a good thing she's not teaching at an American university. Um, Actually, teaching at, you know, a British university wouldn't make it easier. Um, Teaching at a German university at this point wouldn't make it easier to say these things. But honestly, everyone is saying them in private or anyway, very many people are saying them in private to a few trusted people. And I'm just trying to encourage more people to say them out loud so that we can concentrate on uh, fighting fascism, because uh, if we wait to call it fascism until the concentration camps are built, uh, it will be too late.
0: Well, thanks for saying it publicly with us. Susan Neiman. it's been great speaking with you on Sunday Extra.
1: That's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Susan Neiman is the author of Left Is Not Woke and the director of the Einstein Forum in Potsdam.